pray that God would equip us today with his word, that he would unite us and mature us. We are going to continue. This is week three of Better Because of You talking about relationships. Thanks for coming back after last Sunday. You may have broken up in the parking lot or you may have had to do some tough work this week. And uh, I just want to thank you for, um, for continuing to submit your heart to what God has for you. He really does have good plans for you. And again, I'm Anthony. Um, I've been here for about eight years. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you yet, I'm so thankful that you're taking time in your weekend to hear from God, to worship God, to come in and pray and agree together. Um, I'm your friend. I'm your friend. I want to open God's word to you. Sometimes it hurts. He does, uh, he does good surgery in us, and sometimes that hurts a little bit, but it's for our good. So uh, I'm sorry if it hurts, but also I'm not because God wants to bless you with His Word. Hey, anybody else in the room today? Anybody watching online from a scrappy family? Like a family that just knew how to fight with each other, didn't need to take classes, they knew how to fight with each other and knew how to fight good. My family is, is an Italian wannabe knockoff uh, mafia family, kind of, like, like a Christian version of a Scorsese movie, maybe, like kind of in that lane. And um, they, they, uh, they're pretty scrappy. They don't withhold their thoughts. Um, they are, they're not always peacemakers. Sometimes they're peace breakers, just looking for a scrap. Um, my, I, I was told this story many times uh, throughout my life. My brother is eight years older than me, and my sister is five years old, older than me. They're both very tough, and they're both very smart. If they wanted to make me cry at the dinner table, guess who was going to cry at the dinner table? Like, that's, that's the, uh, the, the vibe of my family. But um, in Cleveland, when we were growing up, one day, they're in elementary school, and my brother's in fifth grade, and my sister's in second grade, and at the end of the day, they all line up in the hallway, all the classes waiting for the bus. It's the bus line. And there was a little boy that was coming down the second grade line where my sister was every day and just punching kids in the stomach. Just kid after kid after kid. Again, I'm telling you how it was told to me. One day, my brother is out there in the fifth grade line and he sees this kid coming and he sees this kid punch my sister right in the stomach. And so he comes over and he just sweeps the kid's leg and decks him right into the floor. And that kid didn't punch anybody in the stomach anymore in the bus line. And, uh, you know, nowadays that's a viral event and it's on the news. But back then it was a Tuesday um, in, the, in the early 90s. And, uh, and just that's the kind of family I grew up in. They were very scrappy, always ready for a fight. And... Um, you know, I know that some of you in this room were born into a similar family because some of you look like you know how to take your earrings out in the parking lot if you need to. <laughs> However, something great happens no matter what family you're born into when the grace of God knocks you down and you're reborn, you're born again into a different family and all of a sudden the fights that you fight change. You start fighting differently. The, the gentleness of the Holy Spirit, the goodness of God, the patience of God, his grace just floods you and really uh, uh, goes to town on you and does a number on you. You start to fight differently in this world. Um, I'm so thankful 
and grateful that God reached me in that way. In, in our families, in our family relationships, we can look at our siblings, parents, kids, extended family, in-laws, and we can think this way, your growth is my goal. Your growth in life is my goal. Growing in Jesus, growing in the giftings God's given you, growing in your, your wholeness and well-being, your growth is my goal. None of us want to say, my brother, my wife, my son, my family could have been great. My family, we, we could have been right with God. We could have been living out our calling, but I got in the way. I held them back. Um, I, I, they couldn't survive me. I pushed them down. Today, I want to talk to you about improving your family relationships, that we could stop fighting against each other and start fighting for each other at home. So uh, as you're taking notes today, I want you to title this talk, Fighting the Right Battles at Home. Fighting the Right Battles at Home. No matter what family you are in, no matter what family you're in, passive-aggressive, abusive, dysfunctional, discouraging, estranged, no matter what family you are in, you can personally thrive. Some of you need to be released from the, the baggage and the lie that because of the cards you were dealt, because of your upbringing, because of what you've gone through, you can never attain a wholeness or, some, or, or the life that God has called for you. That's out there for other people, but all your balloons have been popped. Some of you need to let go of that lie. No matter what family you're born into, you can personally thrive and you can be a blessing. You can be an encouragement to the other people in your family. And, and I can promise you that if you do three things. We're going to walk through these today. If you surrender, if you focus, and if you believe. We're going to walk through it from the story uh, that you've heard many, many times. Everybody knows the story. Everybody on ESPN knows the story. It's the story of David and Goliath, but not quite. It's the fight David fights on his way to fight Goliath. And we're going to read it in 1 Samuel 16 and 17. This tells all the interactions between David and his oldest brother, Eliab, or Eliab, however you want to read it. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There were seven sons before Samuel. Are these all the sons you have? Well, there's still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. He's saying, He's important to God. He may have not been important to you. He might not have an important role that you've given him in your family, but he's important to God. Now, Jesse, this is the next chapter, said to his son, David, David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. This is a charcuterie story. See, see how your brothers are and bring back some assurance of them. Three things Jesse told David to do. Did you catch them? Go bring these to your brothers and your brother's commanders. See how your brothers are doing. And thirdly, bring back some assurance of them. Other translations uh, read this way. Bring back some token of their welfare, their well-being, or their victory. So he gives them three things to do. 
And David left his thing, uh, then David goes to his brothers. He leaves his things with the keeper of the supplies and runs, he runs to the battle lines and asks his brothers how they were. So he immediately accomplished two of the things his father told him to do. How are you? And here's the stuff, okay? As he was taking, as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? Comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. So David asked those men standing near him, what will be done for him who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So here's the showdown. Here's the fight on the way to the fight. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down here only to watch the battle. David says, now what have I, what, now what have I done? Can I not even speak? The first thing you need to fight for to fight the right battles at home and not the wrong battles at home is you need to fight for obedience. Fight for obedience. I'm going to talk to you about honor in your family, but specifically obedience. You honor in your family. This is the first role you play. You honor in your family by obeying the authorities that God have placed over you, by honoring God in obedience. This is a battle each of us fights against ourselves, against our own pride, against our ego, against our selfishness. We have to fight ourselves and choose to be obedient. There's a, a struggle between discipleship and defianceship. I know that's cheesy. I just made that word up. There's a fight between discipleship, following those in front of you and defying them and going your own way that each of us has to fight for the sake of our family. David was on sheep duty and cheese duty. I, uh, my, my wife makes charcuterie boards. She started doing it a few years ago. And um, I often get to eat the scraps, and I just love it. It's one of the greatest jobs in the world um, is to just support her by taking care of the leftovers. And um, I have been introduced to so many cheeses that I had no idea existed. Um, just fantastic stuff. But let me tell you, in David's day... That job was not a glorious job. It did not bring him any fame in his family or in the culture. He, uh, uh, in his culture, they didn't sing songs about the person delivering cheeses. They didn't sing songs about the legend of David who delivered the best double cream brie or cranberry Wensleydale. These are some of my favorites. Or three chili smoked Gouda. Or here's the best. Whiskey aged Kerrygold cheddar. They didn't say, man, David delivers the best Manchango in all of Judea. Saul has his cheeses, but David has his ten cheeses. They didn't sing that. There was no glory involved. That was cheesy. I know. Uh, from, from chapters 16 and 17 in Samuel we see that the role and position and treatment that David received inside of his family 
as the youngest of eight sons was the role of the leftover, the afterthought, the outcast, the the role of the forgotten and less than. He was not given glory in his family or defined as important at home. But you can honor God from any seat at the table or you can dishonor God from any position in your family. It doesn't matter what your position is, that position is an opportunity for you to honor or dishonor God. You might not even have a seat at the table. You might be at the kids' table. You might be on the floor if you got eight brothers. But from any position, you can honor or dishonor God. Jesse sent him down the path on cheese duty, but because he was submitted and obedient, God led him to Goliath and led him to the throne. Catch this, his father sent him, but God was leading him. His father sent him, but God was leading him. I don't want on cheese duty? That's not an upgrade from sheep. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) His father sent him, but God was leading him. He sent him with cheese, led him to stones, and it led him to Goliath's sword. Psalm 23, 3 says it this way. He leads me down paths of righteousness for his name's sake, not my name. I don't have to pursue my own glory. I don't have to, to forge out a new path or walk my own path. I can just go where I'm sent because God is leading me. I can submit and obey and still trust God to get glory from me. Doesn't, isn't that a release that you don't have to prove yourself? All you have to do is submit and obey. Praise God for that. You may be sent where you do not want to go, but if you're obedient, the story of your life will not be about who is sending you. The story of your life will be about who is leading you. Jesse gave him the least position, but David was the most submitted. This command repeats itself throughout Scripture, and it's a spiritual metric of our discipleship or defianceship. It tells us where we're at. It's the fifth commandment in the 10 commandments. It's in Ephesians 6. It's in Colossians 3. Children, obey. Children, honor your parents in the Lord for this is right. It attaches our obedience to righteousness. We're gonna talk about that in just a second. We're doing a deep dive on obedience right off the bat this morning. You might be uh, serving parents who are not honoring God and are asking something that is wicked of you. You do not do that. We're gonna get into that in just a second. But it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And it leads to the blessing of God. The honor principle is that if I'm surrendered to God, I can be submitted to you. I can lay aside my own desires and put your will ahead of my will. Now, there, there are two different things, surrender and submission. Surrender is blind obedience, blind obedience. It's not a negotiation. Jesus is who I am surrendered to. Jesus can do whatever he wants to me and he can do whatever he wants with me and I won't talk back. Jesus doesn't owe me anything. I won't negotiate with with his authority. Though he slays me, yet will I serve him, yet will I bless him, yet will I worship him. But let me tell you, submission is not blind, it's 2020 vision. Submission is 2020 sacrifice. If my boss or my spouse slays me, I will assert boundaries and have clarifying conversations and I will contribute to healthy relationships. I am submitted 
in relationships because I am surrendered to Jesus. I can, in humility, at the end of the day, if we disagree, I can, in humility, put your will over my will so that I can accomplish God's will. That's submission. Out of reverence for Christ, Philippians 2 is the perfect pattern for us. I can make myself nothing, take on the very nature of a servant, and become obedient, investing myself wholeheartedly into accomplishing your will out of reverence for Christ. Did you notice in the scripture the big contrast? David obeyed wholeheartedly. It, if you, you do a good read through of uh, 1 Samuel 17, you'll see David runs three times. He runs to the battle lines. and I'm sorry, he runs to the camp, then he runs to the battle lines, and then he runs to stand over Goliath. Three times David runs. All we see from the, the indecisive leader and the scared Israelites, all we see from them is them running away from Goliath. David runs to him. Um, he runs. He's wholeheartedly obedient. This is why David becomes the greatest king, because he was the greatest servant. He ran to accomplish his father's instructions. And this is a cool thing to think about. David accomplished the first two instructions right away. Deliver the cheese, see how they're doing. But he didn't accomplish the third thing Jesse told him to do until he put that stone in Goliath's head. And he brought back Goliath's head as a token of his brother's well-being and victory. Isn't that cool? When he brought back Goliath's sword, he accomplished what his father Jesse told him to do. That's something cool to think about. Um, David obeyed wholeheartedly. Half-speed obedience and double-speed obedience make the difference between how much glory uh, it, 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 it make it. it is the thing that determines how much glory God gets from our submission. If we are half-hearted or if we're, you know, half-speed or if we're double-speed. I can always tell how aligned my son's desire is with what I tell him to do based on how he goes up the steps. If I say, go get your sweater because we're going out, we're going to the playground, we're going to do whatever, he takes the stairs two at a time. He turns into like this Olympic hurdler. It's Jackie Joyner Kersey. He's out there. If I tell him that I want him to uh, go upstairs to, um, I don't know, I, if I tell him, you know, go brush your teeth upstairs because your breath stinks, hates brushing his teeth, go brush your teeth upstairs because your breath stinks, he puts his both feet on every single step a few times, it's like he's playing Dance Dance Revolution on every step in slow motion all the way up the steps in half speed, and I can tell how aligned he is with what I've told him to do based on his speed. Even when we disagree, even when it's not our desire, how submitted are we? How do we obey God? Do, are we all in surrendered? Um, let, let me give a couple caveats about obedience that are, are often tricky situations where things get nuanced. Here's the first question I hear often. What if my parent doesn't honor me? What if my parent doesn't honor me? I'm supposed to honor them, but they don't honor me. Respect is earned, not given. Have you heard that phrase before? Respect is earned, not given. Well, I, I want to encourage you today, stop reacting to people and start responding to God. Out of reverence for Christ, determine how you will treat people. Pre-decide, choose how you will treat other people out of reverence for Christ because Christ has never dishonored you. 
Christ has given you so much honor and value. You can give honor even when you're disrespected. You can give respect. Jesse didn't honor David. Why should David honor Jesse? Because David had his eyes on somebody greater. He had his eyes on the Lord. God has something better for you than what anyone can give you. If everything you do is an equal reaction to the blessings or offenses people give you, you will never receive the far greater blessings of Christ. Does that make sense? You give me this, I give it right back to you. You give me this, I give it right back to you. What about what God's giving you? If you start reacting to what God's giving you, instead of just receiving what people give you, you'll start to receive his blessings. And he can give you far greater what anybody else in authority over you can give you. David was honoring God, and and he became a reflection of the glory of God, not just a worldly mirror reflecting whatever the world gives him. He became that that mirror that's reflecting the glory of God. You know, when you're... uh, When your parent sins and falls short of the glory of God, you have a choice to make. Will you glorify God? Will you forgive? Will you serve? Will you obey? Oh, my mom was harsh for me. My dad didn't give me a good reason when I asked why. Okay, and? Those aren't qualifications on the fifth commandment. When you add qualifiers to the commandment, you're adding barriers to your blessability. I know this is a tough word to hear. Parental imperfection does not nullify Jesus' perfection. And And who he is is who we're responding to. Here's another question you may have. What if my parents won't honor God? Okay, my parents not honoring me, fine. But what if my parent won't honor God? How do I honor a dishonorable person? This is a true story for many people in the room right now. You're in a relationship, you're serving parents who uh, are actively in rebellion against the Lord. Some, there's young people in the room I know right now whose parents will drive them to honor God, but they won't get out of the car themselves. And and that's a, a reality that many people are living in. Let me give you some advice. First of all, do not regard your parent with a casual attitude. Do not write your parent off because they're not living in a submitted place with the Lord. Um, honor comes from that same word as glory. It means heaviness. And, and too many of us regard our parents lightly or flippantly, or we roll our eyes at our parents and we take on a casual attitude towards them. Maybe your parents are misguided or confused or evil. There's evil parents in this world. There's, we, we focused on it in December here at Trinity with a giving project where their parents selling their children into uh, trafficking, into other things. We know that that's happening all the time. In fact, I was so blessed to get an email this week that all the permits were finished, all the papers were signed, and construction of the safe home that's going up in Spain uh, and construction of the home in India that we purchased is happening right now. So great. So great. Maybe your parents are confused, misguided. Maybe they're even evil, But parental disobedience is like committing treason. Sometimes we need to do it. But whenever possible, obey. Whenever possible, obey. There are times when God's will goes against the will of your parents and you honor your parents by disobeying them. It happens in scripture. We saw Moses, he defied his adoptive family to let the Israelites go. Joshua and Caleb stood for the promises of God against their own families. 
We see it in in scripture. Gideon tore down his father's idols. Jonathan hid David when Saul attempted to kill him. He understood the weight of his father's sin, and Jonathan chose to jeopardize his own life to keep his father from sin. You may be in the room, uh, adults, and you're fighting for your parents' obedience to God, even in a late stage of life. You're fighting that your parents would come to know the Lord. It's been decades and decades, but it's the top desire of your heart and your number one prayer request. Keep going. And, and, and can I just say this too? You might have some guilt with some out-of-alignment actions you've taken as you've served your parents. Be released from that guilt. You might be in the room and, and you've had to take your parents' car keys when they've drunk or, or another family's, family member's car keys and it caused a huge fight. You may have had to draw some new boundaries if they were verbally abusive to your family. They may have lost self-sufficiency and you had to move them into assisted living against their will. Can you be free of that guilt? You are honoring your parents, even when it not, might not be their desire, but when you put what's right or over how you feel, even over how they feel, you are honoring them. You're fighting for them to, to be loved and cared for and to know God. Let me get specific. There are times when God's will goes against the will of our parents. If your parents encourage you to lie, cheat, or steal, abuse substances, or mistreat the opposite sex, they don't have any boundaries for you. They don't have any standards for you. Let's get real, real. Can you wake up your neighbor real quick? If they encourage you to take on a secular worldview around gender or sexuality, if they encourage you to drink your socks off and sleep around at senior week. If they encourage you to have your boyfriend or girlfriend spend the night. If they prioritize every activity over church. This is an opportunity for you to pray for them and have loving confrontation. First and foremost, it's an opportunity for prayer and loving confrontation. Don't regard them uh, flippantly or lightly, don't say, well, I disagree with my parents. Peace out, I'm out of here. No, it's an opportunity for you to pray for them and have loving confrontation inside your own house. Pray for them, confront, and then honor them by obeying whenever possible and in every, uh, in every way you can, disobeying where necessary, only where necessary. And can I give you one last piece of encouragement. Don't become bitter. Serve your parents. Don't become bitter by them. Hebrews 12, 15 says that bitterness is the enemy's goal, right? See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You love God, great. You have a difficult relationship with someone in your household. The enemy's goal is to use that relationship to make you bitter and defile your faith. Do not let bitterness come into your heart. Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, don't embitter your children or they will become discouraged. You are under their authority. They are under God's authority. He will deal with them. Your parents, they, they either hand you a responsibility or an opportunity. If they give you Jesus, even an imperfect wrapping paper, if they gave you Jesus, they gave you a gift and a responsibility. You need to do something with that gift they gave you. If they gave you 
a sign pointing to Jesus. Jesus isn't here, but I'm going to give you a sign pointing you that you need Jesus. You are uh, being given an opportunity. No matter a gift or directions to the gift, in bitterness, you waste them both. In bitterness, you waste them both. Second thing we need to fight for today is to fight for purpose. Fight for obedience. Fight for purpose against distraction and discouragement. You don't have the time or the energy to be fighting the wrong battles at home. God has invited, chosen, and called you his child and his servant, so don't let anyone else call you anything differently. No matter what is spoken over you in your family, the enemy is on a mission to keep you from finding out who you really are in Christ. He might use someone close to you. He might use someone who knows every wrong thing you've done, has all the receipts. He might use them to shame you and shame you and shame you throughout your life. He wants you to not find out who God's created you to be. And he wants to push you into counterfeit identities. The Bible is clear because of Jesus, brother will be against brother. Because of Jesus, sister will be against sister. Here are three lies that Eliab says to David to discourage and distract him. You ready for this? When Eliab came to David, David had an opportunity. Am I going to engage here and fight you? Or am I going to go fight the giant that is disgracing and defying God? He had an opportunity. Who was he going to fight? Fight his older brother or go fight the giant? And so I want to encourage you today. Do not get sidetracked fighting these three lies your whole life. They're lies. Put them down. Move on. Number one, Eliab tells David, you are not enough. Why are you here? He says to David. Why are you here? You are not significant enough to do something significant. You shouldn't be with Saul's troops. You shouldn't be anywhere around the battle, David. Who do you think you are? Why are you here? You're not enough. You are unworthy. Maybe you should change yourself so that you can be worthy. Change yourself so that you can be loved, so that you can be affected. Stop being who God created you to be and be this counterfeit version of that so that you can be worthy. You know, the enemy, he's on that mission. He wants you in that counterfeit identity and he'll use that lie, you're not worthy, you're not enough, you're not worthy, you're not enough, over and over again to push you away from God. The second lie Eliab says to David is, you are not doing enough. Who's watching those few sheep, those little scrawny little sheep out there in the wilderness as if it was David's job to make this sheep and this sheep make another sheep. It's not David. It has nothing to do with David. Who's watching those few sheep? He's teasing David with his smallness. He's teasing him with his faithfulness. He's teasing him with his role and his position. He's teasing him for being obedient in the walk that God's given him to walk. Hmm. You don't have to do something big to do something important. You might be at home with your kids. You could be a stay-at-home mom, and God has you doing the ministry of motherhood or the ministry of fatherhood. You might have a job that is not people-facing. It's not out there. You're not getting any acclaim from it, but you're being faithful in it, and you're following God in it. You do not have to do something big to do something important. There's every piece of the kingdom of God, every body, every part. You might be the pinky not the big, not the thumb. You might be the pinky. 
You don't have to do something big to do something important. I want to encourage you uh, that the enemy will often try to get you to hurt yourself trying to prove yourself. Stepping outside the lane God has you in to try to be bigger, try to be more important, to try to feel more worthy, and you'll end up really damaging yourself and your walk with God, really hurting yourself trying to prove yourself. All you have to do is be faithful. He says you're not enough. He says you're not doing enough, David. And the third thing, the third lie is that someone else can define you. He says, David, you are, I know how conceited and how wicked your heart is. Some other translations say proud, mischievous, and naughty. The the Living Bible says it this way. David, you're a cheeky little brat. That's what his older brother says to him. And, um, and you're just here to watch from the sidelines. He, what he's saying is, I'm your brother. I shared a room with you. I shared a bathroom with you. I know the real you. And, and maybe Eliab was right. Maybe David had been conceited and wicked before. Maybe Eliab had a front row seat to David's mistakes and his shortcomings. But that's not what defined David. Just like me and just like you, there may be somebody in your family who has all the receipts saying your past disqualifies you, saying something you've done before this moment means you can't be used by God in this moment, in the present, and in the future. But that is a lie, and we do not let people who don't know who they are tell us who we are. And the thing that that Jesus speaks over us is it doesn't matter the choices you've made because of the choice Jesus made you can be free and forgiven and healed. Eliab looked at David and he saw his own insecurity. He saw his own rejection when Samuel anointed David and not him. He saw his own fear of Goliath and David didn't have that fear of Goliath. And he spoke out of it and he pushed his brother down and he belittled him. He spoke lies over him. And what ended up happening was in between David and Goliath, between David and his future, between David and the throne, the trajectory that God was leading him on, stood his family. David had to make a decision in that moment. Am I gonna fight my brother or am I gonna fight the giant that God's called me to fight? Some of you hear those lies often. You've heard those broken narratives and those exchanges. Some of you, there's a family member, all you do is argue. All you do is fight. And the fight is really a distraction fight from the real battle you should be fighting at home. You need to maybe lay down some pride and some ego and say, I'm not even gonna defend myself. Maybe some of the things you're saying are true, but I'm gonna keep my focus on what God has for us. I'm gonna keep my focus on our relationship and what God is doing in our relationship. Don't just fight for your purpose, but fight for their purpose. Your growth is my goal. Could you get before God with some prayer cards and think about each person in your family? It's a little homework, a little action step from today's message. Maybe um, think about how God loves them and how God has uniquely designed them. Think about their potential, the gifts that they could use for God's kingdom, and maybe write down five 
life-breathing and faith-filled statements about them. Be the opposite of Eliab. Don't stand between your family and their Goliath and just start to breathe out and speak out some things about the calling that God has on their soul. Would you write those down? I'll tell you a quick story. Um, I had the privilege of being my brother's best man in his wedding. And, um, and it was a really cool thing, beautiful wedding. Uh, and, and after it, he gave me a card. And I didn't read the card till I was on the plane back and, and everything. And I opened it up and, and my brother, he's got this unique way of writing. It's like the tiniest, you, you gotta get a magnifying glass out. It's this tiniest little font, beautiful penmanship, but, but really, really tiny. And in it, he told me all the things he thought about me. All the good things, I should put it that way. And um, things he had never said to me before. Things that, I, I still have that card. I'll cherish it forever. But he spoke some of those things out over my life. Have people in your family heard that from you? Do they even know what you believe about them? About how much you love and appreciate them? How you see God in them? In the image of God in them? Let them know. Stay focused. David did not stop to fight his brother. He saw there was a threat to God's people and he took it down. You can spend your, tr your time trying to prove your family wrong and convince the world that you can do anything and you will miss out on what God has called you to do. Why should I defend myself? Why should I defend myself when God is getting insulted? I can fight for my own glory over here or I can go fight for God's glory. And David chose the right battle. To start Fighting for your family, you've got to stop trying to defend yourself and counterattacking and remember who the real giants are in your home. We're fighting lesser battles while fear, shame, and vices wreak havoc in our homes. We're fighting lesser battles while deceit, stress, and comparison tear our kids apart. We're fighting lesser battles while anger, slander, and lust tear our marriages apart. And you might say, okay, how do I fight that right battle? I know there's issues between me and my sibling or my child or my parent, whoever. I know there's issues. How do I fight the right battle? This is a side. One thing you need to do is fight for time with God. Fight for time with God. Pray over your relationship and then let God speak to your heart and direct you. You gotta fight for time with God first. Fight for time with God. I know that's so simple but how easy it is to never name our family before the Lord. If we let our schedule run our lives rather than leading our schedule, get before the Lord, fight for time with God and pray over them. He will direct your heart. He will guide you. And then, and this is the last point today, fight for absolute victory. You have to get a vision, a vision for how powerful God is in the face of Goliath. David gets out there and he just starts taunting and humiliating Goliath. Can you imagine that? This teenager comes out to this massive giant. A whole army is fleeing every single day and David walks out there. No armor, no spear, no sword, no big fancy helmet. A lot of 1 Samuel 17 talks about uh, the intricacies of Goliath's armor, okay? David walks out there with his sling and he says to Goliath, he says, hey, your carcass, anytime you use the word carcass, you're already insulting someone, okay? You've never said to your spouse, you have such a beautiful carcass today. <laughs> your carcass 
is going to be food for the birds and the beasts. I am going to humiliate you, Goliath. That's the kind of confidence David had. What if we, what if we just thought about what's the biggest giant in my marriage? What's the biggest giant in my relationship with my kids? And then we ran straight at it. That's the kind of confidence David had in his God. He said, Goliath, you might be the glory of the Philistines, the hero and champion, but you represent no power, a dead idol named Dagon. But I stand here today and I represent Yahweh, the living God. I represent the glory of the Israelites. Our hero and champion isn't a nine foot tall person. Our hero and champion is in heaven right now. He is the the Jehovah Nisi, the undefeated God of victory. And when I look at my marriage and my family, when I, when I look at, at these relationships that God has given me, if I take that undefeated mentality that God can bring us into unity, that God can defeat the deceit, that God can give me the love and patience that I need, that God can give me the courage to lay down my own will and be obedient, that God can give me what I need to fight for absolute victory, you gotta overcome avoidance, you gotta overcome hopelessness, How much hopelessness and avoidance were in the Israelites' camp? They were riddled with it. David just came out there and he ran straight to the line of battle. He ran and stood over Goliath, ran to meet it. And and I love what David says. He says, I'm going to defeat you, Goliath, so that all those who gather here and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Pray that prayer over your relationships so the whole world will know that there is a God in Baltimore, so that my whole school, my company, my neighborhood, my football team, my neighbors and my friends will know that there is a God in my house, will know that there is a God in my heart. I'm gonna fight the right battles at home. So I ask you today, what's that biggest giant in your relationship with your in-laws, your grandparents and grandkids with your siblings. They aren't the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. What if you got a vision for victory over that thing and just started running towards it? I believe God is ready to to bring a whole new wave of revival and redemption in our family relationships. And and can I tell you, when we've done our prayer cards during Seek Week, and some of you go to the hello spot and you write out prayer cards every single week and our team prays over them, can I tell you that the number one prayer request on those cards is family relationships? Every time, every time, God sees your prayers. Continue to name them before the Lord. Would you stand with me today? No matter what family you're in, if you can have an attitude that is surrendered to Christ, focused on Christ, and believing, full of faith in Christ, you can fight for obedience and purpose and victory in your family. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward and distribute communion cups today. And You might be standing near a family member. If you're not, and your family members in the room, I just wanna encourage you, we're gonna sing this worship song right now. And as we do that, while we just hold the communion elements in our hand, would you find a family member in the room and stand next to them? I wanna take 
this opportunity to take communion together as a family today. Jesus, thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for showing us illustrations and examples of how to put your desires over our desires at home. Lord, help us today. Help that person who's been believing the lies and fighting the wrong fights, trying to prove themselves and, and, and trying to defend themselves and counterattacking those lies of you, you're not enough, you're not doing enough, and this is who you are. God, let them stand in you, see what the real giants are, God, and obey and submit. Let them fight, uh, Lord, with focus and let them fight with a fully convinced heart for absolute victory in their relationships. Thank you, Jesus, for this word, and thank you for every family represented here. Even now as we worship you, Lord, we're, we're going to fight our battles as we worship Jesus, declaring you over every false idol, over the power of the enemy that wants to divide us. God, you can have absolute victory, and we submit to that today. Let's worship together, church, and hold those communion elements. We'll take it together in just a moment.